Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us today again on the program and for tuning in every week. Take, thank you for your kind words and emails and calls and uh, Facebook hits. Uh, we, we deeply are encouraged uh, by the response that we're getting. It's really what has encouraged us to continue this series because, um, you know, sometimes, you know, what we found is it doesn't matter what you preach, somebody somewhere is not going to like it and somebody somewhere else is going to love it. So uh, we are really encouraged that, uh, you know, 90-some percent of the response that we have received has been very positive. We believe that there are people that are watching us that are encouraged by a message of hope and not one of doom and despair and of gloom. We believe that the gospel really works and that God is raising up a church and a people that will be the salt and light in the earth that will continue to see His kingdom increase and continue to grow. And so we are absolutely blessed by your words of encouragement. Let me say also that you can go to our YouTube page if you've missed any of these. Uh, we just heard from a pastor recently who told us that uh, uh, he was pulling it down, the YouTube stuff down on um, uh, on, on uh, his Wednesday night service and sharing it with a lot of his leaders and then making conversation out of it. And it's absolutely revolutionized his church. So that's available to you. Also, you can sign up for our iTunes podcast and get this delivered right to your smartphone or smart device. There's also a RSS feed for your Android device. And you can go to our website and check out any of that at lynnhiles.com. Uh, hallelujah. So I just wanted to make that... Uh, uh, available to you and, uh, and, and just let you know that there's a way that you can go back and review some of these things. Uh, I'm going to jump back into the book of Revelation because we're dealing with the seven trumpets. And last week we started uh, in Revelation, the eighth chapter. I'm going to pick up there again today by beginning to read there. This is Revelation, the eighth chapter, verse one. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half hour. We dealt with that last week. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints. Upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came up with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire off of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now, what we did by way of review last week was we talked about how these prayers of these saints have a direct connection to Revelation, the sixth chapter, where the souls of the martyrs uh, are under the altar, and they are crying out, How long, O Lord, till thou dost avenge us? This is the same altar, the golden altar of incense which speaks of prayer, praise, and worship. The incense that's being put upon this is the offerings of these men who have literally given their lives for the purpose of the gospel from the blood, as we shared last week, Matthew 23 says, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, and even on up through that, that Jesus said to those scribes and Pharisees, He called them a generation 
of vipers. And uh, he called them children of the wicked one. And he said, there's going to come all kind of woe upon you, that upon you will come the, the blood of all that have been slain from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias. Uh, I submit to you that these people that have been martyred from Abel on, clear up until 70 AD, people were dying in their arenas. People were giving their lives for the cross of Christ. Almost all of the apostles, <coughs> excuse me, literally gave their life for the cause of the gospel. You know, I can't help but think even of the apostle Paul who would say in Romans 8, for I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And you know, uh, if you take that out of the context or you take that out of the uh, audience relevance that's there, you could preach a message and people have totally misconstrued that and talked about how, you know, the more we suffer and uh, the more suffering we have, the more it's going to produce, you know, sonship in our life and the glory that's going to come forth. But see, the context there was not, you know, what we've done with that then is make all kinds of, I think, misunderstood doctrines where we think, well, you know, if I'm suffering of sickness or sin or poverty or death, that that's the Lord putting that on me just to perfect me so His glory be seen in me. And the more I suffer, the more I'm going to reign. I beg to differ with that because everything Jesus paid for for us, we don't have to pay for again. But I will say this to you. There is a suffering that we've not been redeemed from, and that suffering is when men shall say all manner of evil against you falsely when they deliver you up to be killed. And many of them in this time period were under hazard of their lives. As a matter of fact, another one of the scriptures that I think is mutilated on a horrible level is where uh, people will quote out of context where Paul said, I die daily. Uh, he wasn't talking about putting his old man to death on a daily basis. He was saying, listen, folks, I literally face physical death every day. I hazard my life in these, uh, and we're constantly under persecution and under threat of our lives for preaching this glorious gospel. And I believe when Paul says in Romans 8, the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory, he was talking about the glory of this coming new covenant. And what he was saying is, listen, if we can endure this, if we could hold on, if we could undergo this pressure, you know, I sometimes think, man, if we think we receive persecution today for what we preach, we ain't seen nothing compared to what these people did who were whipped, physically whipped, put in prison, let down walls you know, in baskets for dead, you know. And I'm not saying that there's not people that are suffering those things right now in the world for the cause of Christ, for whom I say we ought to offer up great prayer and supplication for them and support those. But uh, what he was really talking about there was he was saying, listen, uh, everything we're suffering are the pressures of being, you know, put out of your company and men reviling us and men, you know, throwing rocks at us is because they were preaching a message that was so almost diametrically opposed to the system of religion that was here, that they're being persecuted not only from Rome, but they're being persecuted also from their own countrymen and in their synagogues and in their cities, they're being put out and separated. And here's what Paul said, you know, he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that's about to be revealed. For the creation itself, he said, is groaning and travailing even till now for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature itself was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected all things, yet not without hope. And then he goes on to say that the creation itself will be brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So what Paul was saying there is, listen, there are some things 
that's worth dying for. And one of them is freedom. And, uh, you know, when I think about the freedom that these men were, they had so got a revelation of this freedom, not just from uh, Roman oppression, but from the freedom of the oppression of law and legalism, that this blood of a spotless lamb had literally offered them an alternative and escape out of that oppression and that law and that legalism. Because one of the things, remember, that we are redeemed from is we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus from the curse of the law. Jesus being made a curse for us. So that's one of the things we've been redeemed from. One of the things, you know, that we need to understand is that redemption is a whole lot more than just a ticket to heaven or a get out of hell free card. And so uh, these men were willing to hazard their lives to be able to uh, literally bring a liberty that we now enjoy today, even though many are selling their liberty uh, for the bondage of something else or going back to religion or trying to go back to Judaism, trying to go back to an old covenant paradigm. I'm telling you, I believe that was what Paul warned about in the book of Hebrews when he said, you know, if you sin willfully, uh, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. He wasn't talking about if you make a mistake or you sin or you, you know, got angry or whatever. He's saying, look, if you miss the mark of this new covenant on purpose and you go back, what's happening is you're drawing back to perdition. And so, uh, you know, uh, he hazarded his life along with many others that, listen, I so thank the Lord and I honor, deeply honor those who've given themselves for the cause of Christ to make it easy for you and I. But it is their prayers under this golden altar that lights the incense that is about to be taken. The angel takes a coal from off this altar then. He takes a censer and he takes these prayers that have been prayed from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias that Jesus said in Matthew 23 again would come upon that generation right standing there that he was talking to, that all of those woes would come upon them because the cup of their sin was about to be filled up. Fill up then the measure of your father's sin. And he said to them, all of this is about to come upon this generation and God was about to avenge the blood of the martyrs and the blood of the saints because there was about to be a release of some catastrophes and some judgments. And it is the prayer of these saints that are beginning to uh, release this on the earth. Now, let me just go and show you a few things that I, I put in my notes because also, uh, you know, so powerful in the book of Revelation, you can see the fulfillment of the Feast of Israel from the, the blood of a lamb of Passover that was slain till uh, the sealing of the saints in Revelation chapter 6 and 7 with the wind of Pentecost that blew that shook the fig tree with a mighty wind and uh, the Feast of Pentecost being fulfilled in that particular season. I can't go back and rehearse all of that, but I can say this to you is that Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost was being poured out. He said this Ladies and gentlemen, is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last days. So Peter calls his day the last days, and he tells him this is that. It is the fulfillment of the prophetic word of Joel that I pour out my spirit on all flesh. So even in the giving of the pouring out of the stammering lips and another tongue was in fulfillment. I believe it is of Isaiah 28 where he says with stammering lips 
and another tongue will I speak to this people, yet they will not hear me. And then he said that because they would not hear him, because the tongues was given not just to unbelieving Gentiles, but to unbelieving Jews, that it was a, a sign and a phenomenon from God that this is in fact the last days, and God is giving them forewarning uh, that he would speak to this people, yet they would not hear him. In Isaiah 28, he says, but what's about to happen is there's an overflowing scourge that's about to come, and your agreement with death will not stand, and your covenant with hell will not hold. Uh, it'll be like laying in a bed that's too short, or, uh, you know, in other words, he was saying, uh, listen, folks, there are some things that's about to come if you won't repent. Now, what the festival uh, that we're coming to, see if you could see the feast of Passover as being a, a slain lamb, because they always slay the lamb at Passover. If you could see the fulfillment of the feast of Pentecost as being in the fifth and sixth and seventh chapters of Revelation, where the sun, the moon, and the stars are darkened, the fig tree, which is a symbol of natural Israel. I'll go back over some of these as we get on into these trumpets. But when that wind of Pentecost blew, I preached a message years ago titled, Gone with the Wind. The wind of Pentecost blew away an old covenant, but it gave birth to a new covenant. It shook the fig tree of a mighty wind. That, it was at that period of time that God sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise, which brings us through the sixth and seventh chapter, where they're sealed out of every tribe and every kindred and every tongue. And they're not necessarily sealed because somebody ran up there with an ink blot, but they're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which was the earnest or the down payment of their inheritance, because there was a continuing outflow of the redemption that was drawing nigh. And each one of these feasts was a greater manifestation and a greater, uh, if you will, picture of redemption. So when we come to the feast, or the eighth chapter of Revelation, when we come to the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation, we find trumpets standing. This is the feast of trumpets that would occur in the beginning of the seventh month. As you go on through, you're going to see seven bowls of blood, vials of blood. That is the great day of atonement. As you go on through and you see the, the vials of blood poured out, the next thing happens is a great harvest comes, and there is a in-gathering as he thrust in the sickle and reaps. It is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So you can see how all of these feasts really were even being literally fulfilled. Just like Jesus I trust you're understanding this. There's so much to preach here that's almost overwhelming. But just like Jesus was our Lamb of Passover, He was the fulfillment of that. That was the totality of it. Then we come to the day of Pentecost, and we see now not a type and shadow of Pentecost, but we see the real Pentecost, the pouring out of God's Spirit in Acts chapter 2, which was the first fruits or the wave of the sheath of the first fruit that would occur when the first fruits received the sealing of God there in the book of Acts in the Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled historically. Now we're coming uh, to a period of time when they're about to see the real fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets, or if you will, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, let me just read from my notes a little bit. It may help you to understand uh, some of these things. It said it should be noted, first of all, that there are seven visions 
uh, throughout the book of Revelations. There are seven visions of seven churches. Uh, or there's a vision, number one, of seven churches. Number two, there's a vision of seven seals. Number three, there's a vision of seven trumpets. Number four, there's a vision of the sun-clad woman. Number five, there's a, a vision of seven vows. Number six, there's a vision of the harlot. Number seven, there's a vision of the bride. Sevens are everywhere throughout this uh, uh, book of Revelation. But let me just read this from my notes because it makes it easier. It says, Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Now remember once again that the blowing of trumpets is in Revelation chapter number 8, clear up through 9, 10, and 11. Uh, you come on over into the book of Revelation and you will see the pouring out of the vials of blood, which is the chalice or the cup, or if you will, their vials of blood. It is a picture of the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles, which occurred in the 21st day of that seventh month. So the Feast of Trumpets uh, in the Old Covenant was preceded by 30 days of a season known as teshuva, is the Hebrew word for it. It is the term teshuva. And it was, it was the 30 days preceding the Feast of Trumpets. And Rosh Hashanah trumpets, uh, the Feast of Rosh Hashanah begins a final, watch this, 10-day period to the end of Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. These days are known as High Holy Days or the Days of All. Now let me say to you that this fits perfectly Again, I think with the, uh, with the, the book of Revelation, uh, because when he says to one of the churches in Revelation, I believe it is the second church, I believe it is Smyrna, he said, you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be, be faithful to death and I'll give you a crown of life. I believe that 10 days that he was talking to them about at that church was they had come to the high and holy days of the Feast of Trumpets. And it was a season when God was saying to them, you've got 10 days to repent. These are the final days of judgment, or this is the high and holy days. You literally, up to this point, had 30 days to repent. And then as you come into the final 10 days, there was a total of 40 days, literally. I think this is incredible. 40 days God would give them from the beginning of the month of Elu. There was 30 days preceding the Feast of Trumpets, and then 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets. And I put in my notes that from 30 AD to 70 AD was not 40 days, but 40 years. So God literally gave them a year for every day. He gave apostate natural Israel 40 years to repent because the days of awe, or if you will, the day of atonement is about to come upon them. Now here's the, here's the good news. For us who are believers, the day of atonement is a wonderful thing to us because what happens at the day of atonement is where we realize, look, our debt has already been paid. Our sin has been put away. Jesus is our Messiah. To those who rejected him, who did not have the blood of a lamb, if I could put it like this, put on the doorpost of their house, who have not received their redemption, were about to receive what God was demanding uh, you know, under the covenant bargain of the old covenant, of the judgment would come upon them. But he had given them every opportunity to be redeemed from the curse of the law. And he tells them in Deuteronomy, if you don't, uh, then all of these curses are going to come upon you. In other words, he was giving them every opportunity to be redeemed from the curse of the law, but they not only rejected the sounding of these trumpets, they rejected, look, 
They rejected the blood of this Messiah and said, let his blood be on us and our children. Uh, they were literally, I mean, they just wouldn't take the help that God was constantly sending them. And they were literally demanding God to do something uh, that he was trying to give them every opportunity to come out. Matter of fact, Jesus wept. He said, how oft Jerusalem Jerusalem, you that killed the prophets, how often I would have gathered you under my feathers as a hen doth gather her chick, but you would not. See, the only place God has feathers is on the mercy seat. The, the wings of the cherubs would just stretch out over them, and what God was saying, or what Jesus was saying to them is, listen, folks, I wanted to give you mercy. I have given you every opportunity. I've preached in your synagogues. I've healed your sick. I've raised the dead. I've given you every opportunity. Uh, but what's going to happen is you would not. Because you would not, therefore your house is left to you desolate. So this period from 30 AD to 30, 70 AD and even the message to the seven churches and all through that period of time was a message of repentance, a time of afflicting the soul and changing your mind. See, repentance means more than you need to get saved. It literally means you need to have a shift in the way you think to change one's bent or one's mind. And what was being dealt with here was not just a repentance from sin. Yes, that's part of it, but it's really a change of thinking from an old covenant mentality to a new covenant mentality. So they had literally, you know, 30 days from the month of Elu preceding the Feast of Trumpets. It is a 30-day process of personal examination and repentance for the coming high and holy days. The shofar is blown, which was the ram's horn. Every morning is a blast from a ram's horn to warn the people to repent and return to God. The message for the 30 days of the month of Elul, uh, preceding the Feast of Tabernacles, is don't wait until trumpets or you will find yourself in the days of awe. Rosh Hashanah is referred to in the Torah as the day of the sounding of the shofar or the day of the awakening blast. This 40 days period could be a picture, the 40 year period from 30 AD to 70 AD. God gave them a year for every day to repent. I'm telling you, it was full of shock and awe, right? And God was saying to them, hey, uh, this is a time of awakening. I, I, when I hear the apostles say, listen, it is high time to awake out of your sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. I'm telling you, that was an awakening blast. Uh, that's powerful. In Deuteronomy chapter uh, number 27, in verse number uh, 1 through 30. Uh, and we, 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 we will uh, probably get into this maybe a little bit more, perhaps in the next chapter. But in verse number uh, 1 through 30, there were six tribes. Let me, let me see if I can get that real quick. Because they were, they were literally bringing the judgments upon themselves as they, uh, would, uh, they were agreeing to the covenant bargain. Deuteronomy 27 said, Moses with the elders of Israel command the people saying, keep all the commandments which I command you this day. And it shall be on the day when you shall pass over Jordan under the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, that thou shalt set thee up great stones and plaster them with pasture, plaster. Thou, and thou shalt write upon them all the words of this law. And when thou art passed over and thou mayest go in under the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, a land that flows with milk and honey, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised. Therefore it shall be when you be gone over Jordan that you shall set up these stones which I command you this day in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster, that there shall be, thou shalt build an altar unto the Lord God, an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them. Thou shalt build the altar 
of the Lord thy God of whole stones, and thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord your God. And thou shalt offer peace offerings, and shalt eat there, and rejoice before the Lord your God. And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law, uh, the, uh, very plainly, and Moses and the priests and the Levites spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel, this day thou art become the people of the Lord your God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you are come from Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. These shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse the people, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak unto, and, and, and say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. And cursed be he that set a light by his father's mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that removes his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that perverteth judgment of the stranger, fatherless, and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. And I mean, it goes down through all these curses, and the people always, with one voice at the end of the curses, would say, Amen. But I noticed when I got to Deuteronomy that, you know, they were, listen, in chapter 27 of the book of Deuteronomy, they were literally pledging their agreement to their side of the covenant and saying, we're going to do it, and if we do it, it's going to be our, right, our righteousness. And uh, they were literally taking the oath of the curse. But in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you read all the blessings, it said they'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. You're going to be blessed coming in. Blessed is the fruit of your body. Blessed are your cows and your kids. And he listed on. What I noticed was nobody in the blessing side of it ever said an amen. Now I'm after something here because it's powerful. In the new covenant, not see we're not under the old covenant any longer, we're in the new covenant. And in the new covenant, in Christ, all of God's promises are, watch this, yes and amen. We say the amen. In other words, we used to say amen to the curse, but now I'm saying amen to the blessing. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says this to the church, I believe it is at Philadelphia, he says, I am the Amen. But I'm also the beginning of the creation of God. What he's saying is I'm the final amen to all the curses because he became a curse for us because cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became a curse so that you and I could be the beginning of a brand new species, a brand new creation. I wish somebody would say amen to that. But when the new covenant, we come to the new covenant, they did not say the amen. They said the amen to the curse. But to those who made this covenant agreement and Revelation chapter 8, these judgments are coming on them because they've not received their Messiah who was the end of that curse. I've about run out of time. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. I trust you're being blessed. Listen, we need to hear from you. It is what helps us take the gospel around the world. Your seed is very important. No matter how small it is, it's what helps us, enables us, take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. And it is your partnership and your help. Become a partner with us today. Call that number on the screen or go to our website and we will appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends about us. Until next week, God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. 
This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.